Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ruby Frankie was known by millions as a very tough mom. That's exactly the way she wanted it. The social media star amassed a huge following of supporters and detractors alike preaching the values of strict discipline. But you'll learn in a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus how the small empire built by this momfluencer crumbled the moment her 12-year-old son escaped their home and called 911. Wondery and Law and & Crime bring you the new podcast The Rise and Fall of Ruby Frankie, which explores the allegations of starvation, torture, and emotional abuse leveled against Frankie and her business partner, Jody Hildebrandt. Learn about the family's path to stardom, the depravity investigators uncovered inside the home, and hear in-depth analysis of the ongoing criminal trial. Listen to the rise and fall of Ruby Frankie exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Evening, everyone. Enjoying yourselves? Full of whiskey? <laughs> Dingle whiskey, I hope. We brought our own out. Before we start, I just have a little bit of housekeeping to do. Most of you who listen to the podcast will know Niall Donald. He's like my sidekick. He's on quite a bit. And, but I have to just... I have to keep him in check every now and then, right? So, this just happened... Uh, the other day, he's looking at me now going, what the hell is she on about? So we were doing this podcast on the Hutch tapes. And of course, there was a lot of bad language in it, right? There was effing and there was C word and there was this, that and the other. And uh, <laughs> this girl, Joanne O'Mara, puts up on Twitter, I love when Niall Oliver, being him, swears. And what does he answer? What does he answer? Hopefully my mum doesn't listen. So I told him we'd have to d discuss this. This is just not cool. And I thought this was a private enough forum to do that. Well, you know, like sidekick, Nicola, in, you know, I am theoretically your boss. You do know that, like, you know? Even I don't believe that most of the time, but in theory, in theory, I am Peter, take that whiskey off him, please. So we're not here for that kind of talk. We're here for much more serious business and uh, Emma was great we were snuck down the back listening to her I loved her bit about being a crime journalist and going you did what <laughs> anyway we're going to talk about the gangsters that inspired the movies because we're here for the the Dingle Whiskey movie club and we've been watching all these pretty cool films and uh Behind them are actually real-life characters, most of them. Um, you know, they're sort of iconic movies, but 
There are real-life people there, most of them in the past, but there's parallels with a lot of the guys that we talk about as well. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to go through with our notes, because there's a lot to talk about here, um, some of the movies and some of the characters that inspired them. And first up, of course, and 50 years old this year, believe it or not, is The Godfather. 50 years It's disgusting, isn't it? (laughs) Um, Don Corleone, played by Marlon Brando, of course, uh, was actually, there was a lot of kind of talk about which mafia mobster, you know, he he reflected. And there's a couple of names, but they're all Italians. I'm sure you don't care which ones they are. But anyway, Carlo Gambino is one of them. But everybody seemed to settle on this guy, Frank Costello. And he was a master of a lot of things. One of them was keeping politicians in his pocket but he was one of the most dangerous really gangsters there were yeah he was he was extremely dangerous and but he i suppose he was known as the prime minister of the underworld because he had a very suave exterior and he 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 particularly um was one of the Italian immigrants that came to, to the U.S. at the turn of the 20th century, there was waves of immigrants, I suppose, from, from Ireland, from Italy, from Eastern Europe, and it all came into a melting pot in New York City, I suppose, at the turn of the 20th mm. century. Like, Frank Costello sounds like, you know, Irish. it sounds it Irish. Is. It is, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. I was actually going to, what did you say, Costello? Yeah. I just say Costello, but it's actually is. Well, he does have a, just a full-on Italian name, though he changes. Yes, he, so is, he is, sounds is, like he owns a DIY store. Yeah, though, yeah, Costello's yeah, yeah. Off, or something off, like off that. Off the Long Mile Road or something yeah. like that. I feel like you can tell the tier of how what immigrants were respected at what level by an Italian lad changing his name to Irish. Yeah. He's yeah, like, I'll get a little bit more respectable if I'm have an Irish name. Yeah, yeah do you think so that's, that's it? Or that less was curvy at, at, or something? Well, at the time, like, he, you know, he changed his name in, maybe in his 20s, and in part it was to fit in with Irish gangs. At that stage, you would have had... Um, the Italian Mafia was just another gang, really, in New York City. The, the Irish gangs had big control and certainly would have rivaled them. But over time, um, the Italian Mafia really took over and dominated organised crime right up until the 80s or the mm. 90s. Um, Frank Costello, when he was just a teenager, he, he'd been in and out of prison um, for sort of robbery, not, you know, relatively street gang sort of crimes. But he hooked up with a number of guys, um, four guys in particular that would really become ultra-famous in the world of, of organised crime and really change organised crime in a worldwide sense. Um, they would have been names like Charles Lucky Luciano, um, two Jewish gangsters who, at the time as well, the Jewish gangs really rivaled the Italian mafia, mm. and, uh, called uh, Bugsy Siegel and Meyer Lansky. And they were, in their early 20s, they were probably earning money, feared guys, doing extortion, but then they hit the boom time. Mm. And what caused the boom for these guys was one single thing, prohibition. I mean, it turned ordinary street drug thugs, really, into multimillionaires in the space of two years. I mean, these were guys in their, their early 20s who all of a sudden were, you know, really, really incredibly wealthy. I feel like I'm listening to myself about the cocaine dealers of today because it's exactly the same story, really. Not that I'm, you know, saying we should legalise cocaine. <laughs> but in fairness, you prohibit something and you make people very rich. 
Um, yeah. Peter, the... what about the Godfather? There was three of them, and, uh, you know, uh, they're along. Would people nowadays watch them? If they were made now, they'd be a TV show. And you see, yeah. if you watch The Godfather now, you're like, oh, every TV show, like big, you know, uh, prestige TV show the last few years is just riffing on The Godfather. Like, it's like a big kind of sprawling cast with one main focal point and kind of, you know, there's a family element and all that. I think it, it would, if it was made now, it would be like 10 episodes a season kind of it series. opens, of course, on that wedding scene and the famous sort of Godfather waltz, and he is... Uh, and actually, where is Enda? Because I can't see. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Enda did in the most amazing, and you'll see it on the poster somewhere, a pose oh, yeah. <laughs> as the Godfather. Like, it was unbelievable. Like, it really was. I don't know whether... <laughs> you did a little bit of kind of, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis style. All we wanted you to do was a photograph, which it turned out actually was unreal. But he, um, you know, it starts in that wedding scene and, of course, the Godfather, there's the kissing of the ring and there's, he's granting favours to everyone who comes to them. But the second one is where you go back to the real story. It's the immigrant story. It's like how, how, how far you can go, in, like America been the dream, so you can come over as a pauper, a child, like with nothing from uh, Sicily, the town of Corleone, Sicily, and you can end up being... You know, kind of having having politicians in your pocket and all the rest of it. Yeah. Like it's kind of that kind of like crime movie. American crime movies is always like that little warped version of the American dream. It's like you just come over, immigrant, work hard, you know, and uh, set aside some money, and you can own a company or whatever. It's that, but more killing, shooting, murders. A <laughs> little bit of the killing, the shooting. Have yeah. you been to Sicily? I haven't. I'd love to though. Yeah, you been to Sicily? I haven't been to Sicily. No. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think, actually, they, they said in The Godfather, after The Godfather came out, the mafia changed mm-hmm. to adopt the mannerisms of the people in the film, bizarrely. And they said the same about The Sopranos yeah. when it came out, that the, the real-life mobsters started copying yeah. Tony, like, yeah. you know? Mm. Um, but Frank Costello would have, like, like uh, Don Corleone, um, Frank Costello was one of the few... Um, say, the assassination attempt of Don Corleone when he shot coming out of his house... Um, shot by an associate, and then he goes into retirement. That was really quite closely based on Frank Costello's life. Um, he got shot by one of his, his close friends, uh, um, one of the Genovese family, and he was one of the few gangsters to go fully into retirement. Um, he lived in the penthouse suite of the Waldorf Astoria for the last 10 years of his I life. I mean, that is my dream. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Isn't that, I mean, how bad? Like, how many people life, do you like, have to kill? Well, well, well. And you're not even killing them. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone sends you, you an invoice. You just sort of drop it there, just kill your man, will you? And then yeah. off you go to and the Waldorf. He, and, he, and he spent his time growing roses and entering horticulture competitions. I mean, that is just weird. <laughs> that bit is weird. Like, where yeah. did you find that fact? Uh, I don't know, but... Um, it, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, is, it is definitely true, Nicola. Yeah. <laughs> Everything that's said on Crime Wave <laughs> is true. Um, but um, so he, he, he died of a heart attack, which was, you know, most of these guys, nearly every criminal that we talk about either gets shot or ends up in prison. Mm. But he was one of the few that got out of it. And he spent his latter years, um, like Don Corleone, just sort of mediating disputes. Mm. Yeah. But even, even after he died, uh, he wasn't totally free because they built a big tacky mausoleum to him to bury him and somebody bombed it because he decided <laughs> yeah. against it. 
it sided against but him. But isn't it amazing, like, he operated as a mediator until he died, exactly what the, the type of, of gangland, maybe, or the underworld that Jerry Hutch it was reminiscing on as he travelled yeah. in that car yeah. up to Belfast, and he was thinking, where are the mediators? They're all yeah. gone. Why are we yeah. shooting one another? Where are the good, decent criminals that are yeah. going to settle disputes? And that's that's a job opening, isn't it? If the cocaine business yeah. doesn't work out, you know? <laughs> Right, well, look, out of those early mob families came a young rising star who po- probably remains one of the most famous mafiosas of all time. Um, despite the passage of time, if you ask people, you know, who's the most famous criminal, so many will still say Al Capone. Al Capone is my sort of idea of what the the real life nowadays Mr. Flashy is like. I mean, he was mega by the age of 26. He was the boss of the Chicago mobs. He was a multi-multi-millionaire. And by 32, he was all over. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that? Oh, like, it's so bizarre how much we still talk about it. Seriously, all yeah. those people, all those black I'm 33 and, and I hopefully... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, that was in his heyday, apparently. Yeah. But well, everyone looks old in old pictures, do you notice that? They do. Yes. Do Hard living. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah. It's because it's in black and white. <laughs> oh, I don't know, it's the style and everything, but... No, but, but it's, it's, it is kind of like when you're like... Bands that like, like we're not. You're like, why are we still up with them? They were only around for a couple of years. It's the same with him. It's like he yeah. was only actually knocking around for a bit, but he made an impact. Yeah, he certainly did. And, so, and like, like the flashy kind of guys, although they didn't have Instagram back in the 1930s, I'm pretty sure. But <laughs> but he constantly posed for yeah. for pictures, did magazine interviews. Mm. Did you see so, the Untouchables, which is a totally yeah. historically wrong film, but the stuff yeah. of him. Been a total press whore. Yeah, yeah. a press whore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Al Capone, a press whore. Actually, and you know They'll what? They'll sue you now to Capone's. <laughs> You'll have to put a retraction Come out in. of the grave. I have my lawyers here, I see. <laughs> um, but I, I lived in Chicago for a year, and it is like, when you go around like Bono, pubs claiming Bono, it's like everywhere, it's like, Al used to drink here. Really? You know, like, yeah, yeah. Still? Like, it is, it's, uh, what's it's wrong with people? Uh, I mean, it is a bit cool. You do want it. But you know, he had loads of nicknames, Scarface, Big Al, public enemy number one, they called him. And I did kind of think to myself, back then, the Sunday world didn't even exist. So no. we didn't do it. We didn't make up the nicknames. <laughs> no. Way before, wasn't it? No, we cannot be blamed for that one. Absolutely for sure, not. No. no, but crime has always been glamorous. And that, that is the reason they're making great films about gangsters and not and great podcasts. He was a, he was a womanizer as well. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Where's he gone? He was a womanizer and uh, he certainly doesn't, I have to say, do it for me, Al Capone. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> give you a tiny bit of background on him while we're talking about him because we'll move on. But born in Brooklyn, New York in 1899, grew up very poor, father was a barber. Uh, but he, they were kind of the American dream, like he was to, you know, go out there and get rich. He dropped out of school, got involved in street gangs, you know, started off small. Sounds like everybody from nowadays. But, um, yeah, he was kind of like there at the time when Prohibition came in and he was, uh, you know, he was a, a big boss there. But, interestingly, do you know how, do you know how he died? Okay. <laughs> Do, you know how he died? Do you know how he died? You can say it. 
syphilis. Neurosyphilis. Yeah, yeah. Coincidentally, times Syphilis with him coming out of Alcatraz work? prison, and then he had all of a sudden. Did he not have it before syphilis. he went in? Or maybe he did. So well, neurosyphilis is brain. I know, but yeah, it's basically where the the, the, the crack on your brain, <laughs> yeah. basically. Yeah. It basically, it's syphilis. It it eats away at your brain mm. unless treated, and it was quite a, a common thing amongst a certain type of gentleman. Uh, yeah. Up until the middle of the 20th not century. Us, no, us, no, certain type of gentleman. <laughs> it sounded gross anyway, yeah. but he went around all these prisons. They caught him obviously for tax and there was Elliot Ness, which would be sort of leaned on when you talk about the Criminal Assets Bureau and the whole idea mm. of going after the money. Uh, that's what they got him for. They got him for 10 years. They made a show of him because he had been so, you know, he'd been buying all these politicians and he was so untouchable and at one point the mayor of Chicago who was in his pocket started to criticise the fact that certain beers were being allowed into the city and because speakeasies which this place is a bit like a speakeasy this was the kind of place we'd be drinking in if uh, you know prohibition was around Uh, but he your man the mayor was making this speech about it and he actually went up behind him and physically kicked him down the steps and a policeman turned his back and everyone that's how powerful he was but um yeah, ended up in Alcatraz with syphilis of the brain. And, so let uh, that be a lesson to you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Too late. Died in a fog of dementia, apparently. So that's a nice way, you know, fog of dementia, isn't it? Sort of. Anyway, so look, while Capone's life was short and brutal, another famous mobster that inspired the movies would live well into his old age. But his end is a lesson in how few of them get to die peacefully after a life of crime. And of course we're talking about James Whitey Bulger, played, Peter, by Jack Nicholson in The Departed. Mm-hmm. Or called Frank Costa, obviously a, a restaurant of that. They call him Frank Costa. Because I think Whitey Bulger was still alive when they made The Departed. Mm. But um, yeah, I didn't... Because The Departed I've seen a few times and they really lean into the, the idea that there's like a, almost like a gay undercurrent to him and all that. And then I didn't realise till looking at it, actually, apparently Whitey Bulger was bisexual Did as well. They? I didn't even notice that in the film. Yeah, I was, I was flat out in the old articles there. I'm really like, bad at those. Yeah, but, yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that in the film, I mean, like, I didn't... Oh, sorry. Well, yeah. no, it's, it's that, kind of... That Jack Nicholson was gay in it? Not, not him, it's Matt Damon's character. Oh, yeah, sorry. Who's this little, like, the yeah. lad he's groomed from a young age, he's tucked under his wing, and then there's this whole thing about he's always making these really, like, homophobic slurs and yeah. he can't get it up with the wife and then he's, always, he's like talking about how he's having loads of, but then he's with the lads he's all so there's this, this like weird like what's like is it the stress of being a, a rat in the police force or is it something yeah. a bit more that uh, and then I was like I was one I always had that in my head from watching the film then today I was looking I was like I wonder is that no reference to that because apparently Whitey Bulger was hanging out uh, yeah there's some gay district in Boston I have interesting like, things to tell you about his women but anyway um I just he was a proud, a Do you proud. know that first scene, though, Peter? Describe that because I mean that I think sums up what Whitey Bulger, all the and obviously his character Frank yeah. Costello in the in the Departed. What happens in that first scene in the shop there? Yeah, yeah where it's like he he sees the he comes into the shop like he owns the place wherever he's like hitting on this child of a young one behind the counter who's the daughter of the shop owner. It's all very sleep. And then the character Matt Damon plays Billy Coskin. I think he's at the counter. And he starts buying him comics and buying him. He's like, 
his, his father is absent, the mother, you know, they're mm-hmm. having trouble at home, and he's buying him loaves of bread and milk and comics for himself. And it's that thing of like basically grooming, grooming young folks, yeah, basically, like getting them under the wing and then like bringing them along through, through years. And then when he has them in, infiltrate the police force, then it's like you've an asset there who's like completely beholden to you from day one, basically. But I mean, it's amazing parallels that Whitey Bulger, of course, he became the most wanted man in in the world, really, mm-hmm. at mm. one stage. Because, um, and the the amazing fact is that you know he tried to smuggle weapons into Ireland mm. for the IRA. I mean, he was he was considered himself Irish. It was from, as you see in the film, that Southie accent yeah. and all of that. Um, and you know, we have people sitting in just retired from sitting in the doll today who, who were set to oh, receive no. a ship in the weapons from, from Whitey Bulger. Mm. It's quite incredible. And, he, you know, he went, obviously, Nicola would say, like, he, 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 he became wanted by the, by the police. The police hunted him down, set to charge him with murder, and he, he disappeared, which is, mm. you know... And we... You, Nicola will know as well. We used to get the odd email every now and again. Whitey Bulger's yeah. down. I think yeah. he's down in Dunleary yeah. or, or That's wherever. True. Honest to God, he you was know? like Larry Murphy. He showed up everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he only died in 2012. Like, That's a good so. sitcom idea to do them. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no. every every week, every week since Larry Murphy has been released. You get someone. an email. He's living down the road from me. It'll yeah. just be some, He's the most well-traveled man. Yeah. It's just some guy with red hair. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, and every summer they, they come in that he's, he's in, uh, you know, like a car, like not a car, but a mobile home site in Wexford, and he's moved into it. It's yeah. just bizarre that anybody would think Larry Murphy's in there. But just a little bit of background on Whitey Bulger. Obviously, he's a South Boston Irish background. He went into the army and got in trouble. Um, by, yeah, interestingly, he went to prison in Alcatraz when he was in his sort of early 30s. And Alcatraz was the worst place you could possibly go and everybody wanted to get out of it. So there was this kind of CIA-sponsored program to test LSD on people. And he decided he'd go for it to see if he could get out early because if they did the program, they got out early. Now, he claimed, and others are new and claimed, that for the rest of his life he had nightmares, hallucinations, insomnia... Um, others would say he was a sociopath and he was like that before. But, you know, we'll take a little bit of that. Um, he was, first and foremost, an FBI informant and very controversially was giving and getting information while he was at the top end of his game because, you know, informants usually shouldn't really be the bosses of murderous gangs. When... Um, Whitey, when the, the, the local police force in Boston decided to go for him, his FBI agent tipped him off. He went on the run with a woman. Now, will you hear I this? Said bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> wait till you hear this, right? He went on the run with this woman, okay? With one woman. And she realised that she missed her family and wanted to go back. So his mate had another woman and they swapped. And he sent the one who wanted to go back back, and the mate sent him his woman, who was Kathy Craig, who uh, was arrested with him when he was eventually caught in 2011, living in Santa Monica. Um, now, when Whitey went to jail, because he was found guilty of 11 of 19 murders, a lot of the murders, if you actually look at them, are because people are threatening to out him as an informant or they know he's an informant or whatever. So his motive for a lot of his murders, uh, one of the murders, one of the 19, was a woman called Deborah Davis who he strangled, which would be very unusual. Um, 
So anyway, he went to jail. He was moved around the prison system a lot. He was obviously in a lot of danger in jail because he was a rat, an informant. And he eventually landed in um, West Virginia, where he was put into the main prison population. Most of his time in prison, he would have been kept in isolation or whatever. He's 89 years of age at this stage, and he's in a wheelchair. And one day, this hitman from Boston, this was in 2012, this is not ancient history, um, wheeled him into a corner where there was no CCTV cameras on him, and they beat him to death and gouged his eyeballs out. That's how he died at 89. After getting away with it for many, many years, he looked like... And, you know, it, it was always said about Whitey, he's the one that got You're away. You're looking at me as if that's a story of the Sunday world and you don't believe it. That's the truth. Yeah. You can Google it. I believe everything I read. <laughs> yeah. As you should. So that was poor Whitey. Yeah. That's a sad island. Yeah, it was a... And let that be a lesson to you. <laughs> well, look, while Whitey fiercely defended accusations of being a snitch and even killed to keep his secret, there was another informant who did exactly the opposite and who became the most famous rat of all. And, of course, we're going to talk about Henry Hill. Oh, yeah. Which played is there, there, there by Ray Liotta in Goodfellas. Yeah, absolutely unforgettable film, mm-hmm. really, Goodfellas. Yeah. And there, there's the real Henry Hill. Um, he was, his father was born in Ireland, actually, and emigrated to the U.S., when he was 12 and he married a Sicilian woman. And that meant Henry Hill could never become a made man in the Mafia because he was half Irish. But he, he had an introduction into the Mafia as a teenager as well, as you see in the it's film. It's kind of racist though, isn't it? Well, it is racist. PC not, gone mad, huh? Yeah. yeah. They're, not, they're not necessarily nice guys, the old Mafia, yeah. you know? Um, no Irish. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he was straight away into the... Which really were the staple diet of the Mafia at the time. He was... He was done, he was first went to jail for extortion, for, uh, he set fire to a rival, uh, rival shop, and he was also involved in collecting, uh, you know, gambling debts and all of that, and he eventually went to uh, the military, but when he came back, he hit the big time, and it's with two, with two mafia associates as well, famously paid by Robert De Niro and, and Danny DeVito. There's all this. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Scorsese's pals. They were in their real life names were Tommy Di Simone and James Jimmy DeGent Burke. Absolutely, uh, these guys. I suppose Henry Hill hit the big time with two heists. One of them, he literally got a suitcase, walked into the airport, got a key off of an, in, an insider, opened the door, went in, and filled up. A suitcase with half a million walked out. Nobody held up. Nobody noticed. It went for four or five days. And then he became a big-time mafia guy. And then, of course, the really famous one was the 1978, um, the Lufthansa heist, in, 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 also in, uh, in JFK Airport, where they got the equivalent of 24 million in modern-day money. So, I mean, I think Henry Hill was... was, he, was he hit the big-time then. You see in the film as well, that I think... Goodfellas is really, really quite close to real, mm-hmm. to real life. Some of the others, are the films really vary from it. But you see, he moved into what happened to the mafia as well. He went up, ended up in the drugs business. Um, that caused a lot of disquiet within the mafia. He had a, he had a boss called Paul Vario who, who didn't approve of that, and they decided to, to whack uh, Henry Hill. Um, and as a result... The FBI played him a tape where mm-hmm. he was saying, 
we might have to get rid of him basically. Yeah. Mm. And he decided to go and became an informer. And that effectively brought down one of the families mm. of the mafia. 50 people ended up in prison. And uh, Henry Hill, I think, from my, from my own perspective, it created the greatest mob film of all time, Goodfellas. What about Ray Liotta? Oh, all right, Lee, he's unreal. He's yeah. fantastic. It's a next level performance, especially as it goes along, because he plays, he plays him from like early 20s to whatever age he is by the end, but it changes. He's like such a cocky, swaggering guy. Mm. And then as it goes along, he's just coked up, paranoid, yeah. sweating. It is insane. It's an insanely good performance. And, it's and, like, and I think that's kind of like what did happen to the mafia. Yeah. Like they went from a controlled good fellas to yeah. being coked up, paranoid, yeah. and, and on their way out. Um, he went into witness protection, of course, just like Jonathan Dowdall, and, uh, but he... Uh, in it, what? Yeah. It's true. It's true. They both, only just tell they, the both have, they both have good hair huh? as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, <laughs> the witness protection that he went into was the start of it and that's really, it was actually back then and to dismantle the mafia that the Witness Protection was, program was actually set up. It made its way over here in 96 with the murder of Veronica Guerin and, um, you know, we have had quite a few on it uh, as well. The point of it is to keep them alive so that they can mm -hmm. give evidence. But I mean, you know, this guy has been going on the Howard Stern show this in his is later his, life. Yeah. What the... F I mean... I don't yeah. understand it. I've watched him on... Like, locked out of his mind on, like, video. It's not even right. Like, you can see video footage of him on Howard. And you're like, you're meant to be in hiding. There's yeah. lads yeah. who want to kill you. And you're just... But it's like he just obviously needed the money. Yeah. And he was an alcoholic. He, he got, of course, kicked off the witness protection Because of his behaviour. Uh, for selling cocaine. Mm -hmm. So, and, and, you know... <laughs> That's the last thing yeah. you should have done, Henry. Yeah. But you it, sort of think people in the witness protection program should be super good, like, don't you? And they just aren't really yeah. anyway. But I mean it's been it's it's a it's a it's a mixed blessing, isn't it? The wit the, the evidence from wit witnesses who are in, in the program, mm. particularly in Ireland, it's been sometimes accepted and sometimes the courts have, have looked on it as, as being compromised. Now, if you're in Ireland, you go yeah. to witness protection. Yeah. You can't be in Ireland, surely. No, 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 yeah. they would. Well, they could put you anywhere. Yeah. They could put you anywhere. You're supposed to be, you're moved after you give your evidence, and like we would partner up with loads of different countries, Canada, lots of English-speaking territories mm -hmm. would take ours, and we'd take theirs. Okay. So we take theirs as well. So it could be anybody sitting beside you on the bus. Well, if you got the bus. <laughs> <laughs> if you got the bus. But, uh, no, um... No, but I mean, Jonathan Dowdle may, may be able to survive in another country. He was a politician, yeah. a businessman, but uh, some of the people... I wonder, I don't know how you would... How would you hide nowadays? Like, I mean, if you didn't have a background on social media or pictures of you looking ridiculous 10 yeah. or 20 years ago, is that not a massive red flag? Yeah. If something yeah. doesn't exist, like... Yeah. Don't Google me, because no will come up. Yeah. Why is that? But a lot of the guys who do go on witness protection, they just can't really cope with living in mm. Australia or, or yeah. and they eventually come back they go mm -hmm. off it and take the risk of their lives mm. because it's very hard for people to give up everything that they have known mm. and you, you you know we'll see what happens with the, yeah. with the Regency trial <laughs> not to get into it too much we'll see I get into it <laughs> mm. so we've the gangsters turning on one another when things go wrong but what about law enforcement and you know how do they infiltrate the mobs because this is also a really important arm of policing um, 
to go deep undercover is an incredibly difficult thing and nobody was more successful than one man who gave up six years of his life undercover in the mafia. His name was Joe Pistoni, but the movie Donny Brasco starring Johnny Depp was based on him, according to Joe Pistoni, who's now Mr. Undercover living in fear of his life, a podcast star, (laughs) right? Now, he's a bit older now, but he said that Donny Brasco was based kind of 85% on his memoirs. So tell me a little bit about that movie. Well, yeah, it's a kind of the... It's a great movie for, like, because the, the kind of his in is, like, befriending this character. I can't remember his name. Played by Al Pacino. But it's, like... Lefty. 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 Yeah. The hitman. Yes. And it's, like, they present him as this kind of sad, sack, pathetic lad who never quite made it. Because if you are going to infiltrate the mafia, like, the lads at the top don't want to know you. It's the lads who want to seem like they're important. Yeah. And that's felt very true to life, I think. It's, like, it's the lads who kind of have a bit of a wasted life and they want to feel important and then if you can kind of gain their trust, they'll bring you in rather yeah. than you going straight to the sunny black, one of those bigger kind of honchos. But it was a very important thing in, in, in bringing the mafia to really to, to, to where they are now, which is really a de- defeated force because his evidence, Donny Brasco, I mean, he's in there for five years with the, 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 the family um, he, under Paul Castellano and that that evidence allowed them to dismantle what was known as the commission, yeah. which was really like the a controlling a board, body, like the board of yeah. management of the mafia. Yeah. Amazing to think of it. And they sat down the bosses every few years, and if they want, if somebody wanted to be killed, they'd have to agree to it, and they'd hire a hitman yeah. to kill him. And he, that was really the last gasp of the mafia as 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 the all-powerful uh, force mm. in, in, in U.S. crime. But, like, their structure was to be admired, you yeah. have to say, like, that they actually yeah. just, you know, they had all these rules. Like, if you were a made man, you're not allowed to beat up a made, made man at all. You're not allowed to hit him. Yeah. So if he hits you, you have to hit someone else who isn't a made man just to... You know, oh, there's it's, it's genius. If you read into it, it's like, it is like the likes of Luciano, and they were, like, kind of genius. It's taking, a, taking the idea of like American 20th century capitalism where you're like, you have the mom and pop stores which were just like old Sicilian men who ran their little pockets and they sometimes had wards. And then these young lads just came in and they wiped them all out, came together as one big massive shareholders basically Mm. of this industry. And they got away with so many murders because if you wanted somebody killed in New York... Yes, the Cincinnati oh, yeah. mob to do it, and they, they never. Yeah, they just bring them in yeah. out of towners. They've no motive. They've no history in the town. Mm. Nobody's going to recognise them. And it was hundreds and hundreds of murders mm. that, that mm. remain unsolved to this day. Literally, murder incorporated was this. Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, like, that's, like yeah that's what it was. Yeah. It was dubbed. So it was and like, but the 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 American mafia. Uh, they eventually, and this is what happens really with all criminal gangs, and we've seen it with the Kinnahan cartel in Ireland as well, they eventually became too powerful mm. and they attracted the attention of the state, the full attention of the state. And no matter how powerful a criminal gang gets, the state always wins if it, if it focuses its resources eventually on it. And it took them maybe 20 years, but they were eventually broken. And we're seeing a bit of it. We're seeing it with the Kinahan cartel as well. It became so powerful and were allowed to get really powerful in Ireland. But eventually, look, no matter how powerful they get, the state is stronger. But you know, again, you'd wonder if you would ever be able to put an individual now that deep undercover into a criminal gang. 
you know, a, yeah. you know, a police yeah. officer. Like we had the mockies, because... of course, in Ireland who were <laughs> who were buying lumps of hash on on O'Connell Street. And stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, We've been doing that what? for years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but like you know, nowadays, do, can you like possibly Again, just it's emerge? Social media, Isn't it's it's like, it's like, like I'll just look you up. Just yeah, look yeah, you up. yeah. I, I think it is probably impossible because. Johnny Brasco, of course, pitches up in a bar and says he's a jewel thief. Yeah, and, and that's what the real-life Joe Pistone did as well. And he was weeks just sitting there eating in the bar and hoping that somebody would talk to him. And eventually he kind of befriended this barman. And uh, this barman, he offered to sell him some jewels and this barman basically introduced him to the rest of them. And then he kind of got into it. But um, I just don't know how that would happen. No, no I mean, it, it, things, things have changed. And of course, when Donny Brasco or Joe Pistoni did it, it was unheard of, you know, it yeah. hadn't been done before. So they wouldn't have been as paranoid as no, they would now no. as well, yeah. So look, of course, the business of crime is all centred on the money. Um, you know, that's what keeps the wheels turning. Uh, when you see the kind of money nowadays, it's like, where did the zeros end? Um, I can hardly pronounce it. But... <laughs> Uh, you know, back in the day when the mafias were emerging, they were making loads and loads and loads of money and they had to launder it some way. So what they did was, they say, they built Vegas. And it was the mob, really, that were there laundering their money in Las Vegas. That's how it emerged from the desert. Has anyone been to Vegas? Has anyone not? Love it. (laughs) One of my favourite places on the planet. (laughs) Honestly, it is. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) I love the whole idea that you can stumble down to the reception of a hotel at like six in the morning, jet lagged, and people are on the slots and, you know, people going past with trays of drinks and everything is mental. She's a woman of culture. I love it. (laughs) I've been to Sicily and you two haven't. So, that brings us to Frank Lefty Rosenthal and the movie Casino, which I think is your favourite. It is, yeah. I love it. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the lightly fiction. It's Martin Scorsese again. About, uh, it's not about the founding of Vegas, but it's, a, it's it mainly set in like the 70s, 60s, where it's this character. In the film, he's Sam Rothstein, played by Robert De Niro, but in, um, in real life, he's this guy, Frank Lefty Rosenthal. He was this... I don't know what exactly what you call his role is. He was basically, he was this genius gambler, mm. uh, Jewish fella. And he was in with the mob and they handpicked him to kind of run. In real life, it was a Stardust casino, but in the film, it's the Tangiers because they couldn't, for whatever legal reason, they couldn't say Stardust. But he, um, yeah, he ended up out there running the show. And the film is basically, the, the concept of the film is like having a good thing and messing it up. So right. like his friend... Uh, Nicky comes out to play by Joe Pesci again comes out to stay with him uh, and kind of start running the kind of more ground level criminal operations and it's that kind of thing of like if you just keep your head down mm. we'll be grand and then he just refuses to do it and just causes carnage because if you just tell him something he'll want to do the opposite because that's these kind of if you're a criminal used to just you know bending yeah. the law to your will that's what's going to happen and uh, it's just about how you, the mafia had this Moneymaker, literally legal mm. gambling, this city that they ran, and then all they needed to do was not attract attention. And then, because 
they their their nature they attract attention, and then you've got the gambling commission. You know, yeah, they don't shoot one it. another and stuff. It would help. And, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they say that everywhere, you know. I know it's a shame. That's why they're getting on okay in Dubai because they're not shooting. They're yeah. actually not shooting one another. That's the truth. Yeah. They're not shooting one another in Dubai, and that's why they're able to. One of the reasons why they're able to say their deep pockets are another. <laughs> um, but the, obviously the love affair in this movie yeah. is a big part and of it as well. And she's brilliant in it, Sharon, Sharon Stone. Stone. I mean, yeah. she's absolutely fantastic, you know? Ginger, yeah, it's that, like, again, it's, it's the character, it, again, it's like, you have a good thing, don't mess it up, but it's in your nature. She's like this, she's, again, a gambler, a good-time girl, and she's had this horrific, grim life, so it's like, dictionary definition of a survivor. And then she, Ace Rothstein has this obsession with her, he's the big man in Vegas running this casino, he brings her in, they have, enough, they have this relationship, they get married, but she just can't help. She's always squirreling away money. She doesn't have to do it. You know, what's his is hers, but she's always squirreling away money, like embezzling money, you know, going back to her old pimp, uh, just because it's that like, kind of ground-down survivor nature of her. Yeah. And, uh, and again, that's part of the reason. Of, within the context of the film, that's the downfall of everything is like tied into that and, and his thing so of like, a woman is to blame as opposed to all the criminality and the gambling a woman and, and a mad lad no no <laughs> uh, and, and, and De Niro's H. Rothstein it's that thing again it's like he's it's that thing of because he's this controlling like bizarrely controlling thing it's like because this expert gambler he wants he can see all the angles he, can, he just kn- knows everything down he's a, a perfectionist basically and the one thing he can't control his mate and his wife yeah. and the attraction if he could just cut, cut them loose it, it'll be fine but he just needs needs to know he can control them and that makes them book against him it's yeah it's a, he's so brilliant though Joe Pesci isn't he like oh, it's, yeah. it's great to see a, a, a vertically challenged man can be tough and <laughs> fierce with a squeaky voice yeah. yeah there's hope for us all isn't there yeah there is oh. yeah so the real-life Jerry, just to bring it down a notch again, uh, <laughs> died age 46 in a... Well, they called it a mental asylum in those days, but, yeah, she actually ended up like... I think she just lived life on the edge and she yeah. found it all exciting and dangerous, which is most of the women. Mm. Do you know what? Like, in most of the movies, the women are portrayed... Well, the women are arm candy, aren't they? Yeah. Like, all these gangster movies are just so... It's a bit like the, the Sean Quinn documentary, like, so male, and there's yeah. no women there at Speaking all. Speaking of gangsters. But it is. <laughs> Except, uh, I'm not sure about the eye candy and that. Yeah, look, equal opportunities. Hopefully someday women will be murdering as well. <laughs> I'll fight for the rights of women yeah. in the underworld. Um, but yeah, they seem to have this sort of like, you know, there's an attraction there for the bad boy and the, there's a whiff of sulfur and yeah. there's glamour. And just the best someone just go in there. Sorry, I thought someone just fell. Um, no, but it is a deeply misogynistic culture like gangland culture in Ireland and in, in other very places. Very much and so. A lot, of, a lot of domestic violence and all that stuff, so, you know. So then just the last on our list of who we're going to talk about is a a guy called John List, and he was the inspiration for Kevin Spacey's character in The Usual Suspects. So while The Usual Suspects obviously is a fictional movie, as opposed to, you know, something near real life, this guy, John List, weirdo, murdered his whole family and then went off to kind of just like, actually I think sat down for lunch, having done it, cleaned up, 
and then took off and just started life again somewhere else in another part of the world. Yeah, I think Oddball. I think John, oh, yeah. like it's it's certainly not a direct like like Goodfellas are, re- are true to life, the usual suspects. But I think it's kind of, you know, it was a, the idea that a man could do this unbelievably horrific thing. I mean, he killed his 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 wife, her mother, his three kids. And, you know, then just go on and live a normal life because he just disappeared, ended up in Virginia and just became an accountant and just settled down. And that's a kind of a concept of, of maybe a Mr. Nobody, mm-hmm. as we have in Ireland, you know, in reference to the Kinahan cartel, where these guys can be shadowy figures, do these terrible things, but then on the other hand, live it absolutely normal life to all intents and purposes. Or else they show up in the middle of a gang like Sammy Tannenbar. Yeah. You know, this guy was sort of showed up in the middle of this kind of group, this sort of flashy gang a couple of years ago and he was this Iranian and he had these teardrops on his face and we were told that he was Daniel Kinahan's personal hitman who'd been, who'd been sent over to finish the feud. And he was a very sinister looking character, I have to say, very, very sinister. But he had embedded himself in this gang and he ended up getting shot dead, actually, at a wake he attended because he was blamed on a murder. But it turned out he had this completely... Like, Fantastical. He was yeah. sort of a Walter Mitty type of a, yeah, spoofer. A spoofer. <laughs> he spoofed his way to death, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally. He wasn't, like, he was supposed to have been, like, you know... But the teardrops are meant to be each one for each person each he killed. Each person he killed, but it didn't seem... No, 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 this was, like, it was unbelievable. But he was in the middle of this gang, and everyone believed this story about him, but it turned out that he was just sort of a regular... Hunter, Minor like. fraudster, I think. Yeah, sort of fraudster. One of the, yeah. in the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, when Capone killed those seven uh, members of the Irish gang, the Northside gang, one, there were six of them were gangsters. One of them was his dentist who got his kicks <laughs> hanging around yeah. with gangsters. And yeah. he just happened to be hanging out in the garage that day. When he got and killed. And they're like, well, you're in as well. Yeah, and he got killed. He'd be sickened. Yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> unbelievable. You would be, really. You really would be. Does I'll the- let that be in. <laughs> <laughs> Rue a tree, I won't do it again. So look, they're just some of the iconic characters that were brought to life on the big screen and we all have our favourites and we're going to just do uh, a couple of little uh, bits. Cloda has been working hard collecting the uh, votes from everybody. And we've loads, but we will maybe publish some Cloda and I'll just read out the, the three. And obviously, Kiva has been working really hard on all this fabulous night. And uh, Dingle Whiskey, thank you very much. I'm actually going to have this now. Very nice. I think we'll all agree that we had a lovely spread here tonight. And uh, the star of the night has to be Emma, and I hope she's still here. Can see nothing. Emma and Peter have a couple of shows coming up. I've already booked to go and see Emma next year in the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, but she has shows on all over the country. Peter, you're having Shane and Peter's Christmas party on Saturday night in Liberty Hall. Um, it's a comedy night, and Emma's, Emma's on, with on that. the bill. Yeah, Emma's on the bill. That sounds really good. I'm actually going to go to that. Um, and tell me, you've other shows coming up as well. Um, well, you haven't announced them yet, haven't but we'll announce them, them now. Yeah. <laughs> keep, keep an eye, it'll be a Christmas, good Christmas present to get for your fella, probably. Uh, 
April the 28th will be in Liberty Hall. April 28th, Liberty Hall. Great lad is going to be the name of the show. It's no, it's no good to you now, but it will be. And there's nothing like a night, in fairness, of comedy, and you can sit back, and for me, anyway, it's an escapism. Emma Doran says crime is an escapism for her, but there you go. I don't know which one of us is odder. Um, so, right, of our poll, favourite character... Um, sorry, before I trip over my wires here, where are we? We're, like, on Yeah, IVs. we have a lot of, kind of... <laughs> Wouldn't have wanted too much whiskey. Um, the favourite character, going backwards, number three was Henry Hill from Goodfellas. Um, number two was Tommy DeVito, also from Goodfellas. And number one, do I need to even? Do I? Say hello. Oh, you're drunk. <laughs> uh, Tony Montana, Scarface. Yeah. Such a great character, like. Um, we're going to just do the favourite gangster film. Number three, I'm surprised. Scarface and the Godfather in joint third. Ah, yeah. Cloda, what the hell went on there? You can't count either. There's two of us. Thank God there's Ian who can. Um, second place, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, love this movie. And in first place, the favourite gangster film of our listeners is Goodfellas. 33%, yeah. And finally, before we all go and get a much-needed drink, or I at least finish that one uh, for the moment, she has intent, uh, best soundtrack... Number three, The Godfather. You know, you have to be in the mood, don't you, for that waltzing and everything? Uh, Number two is Goodfellas. Yeah. And I think we'll play out on number one. Do I need to say it? I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! You've been listening to the Dingle Whiskey Movie Club, only on Crime World. Produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.